everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth, and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast called Behind You, where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can go to the YouTube channel and watch the visual version every Wednesday, or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts, and listen to the audio version every Tuesday. And in today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Grant Amato, and there is a lot to get through, so we are just going to hop right into it. Grant Amato was born on May 20th of 1989 in Orlando, Florida, but then at a young age, he later moved to Chuluota, Florida. Grant grew up with his mother, Margaret, his father, Chad, and his two older brothers, Jason and Cody. Jason was actually an adoptive brother of the family. Jason was Margaret's son from a previous marriage and then when she got a divorce and then she met Chad, uh, Chad basically raised Jason as if he were his own son and he actually officially adopted Jason when he was a very young kid. And so the whole family was said to be a very tight-knit family. They were the type of families that would go on vacations, they would travel together, they would go on like hikes and bike rides together, and their family would be considered a upper class family or a middle upper class family because they lived in a really big house. They were very financially stable and Chad was actually a clinical pharmacist while Margaret was a uh, senior operations manager for a large company. So their incomes combined, they were a very successful couple. And so not only were the children able to grow up in a very financially stable household, Margaret and Chad's relationship was actually a pretty good relationship from their close friends. A lot of people would say that Chad and Margaret were a very, very cute couple. And Chad would even go on to say on his website that he had for himself as a clinical pharmacist, there was an about me page. And on this about me page, he said, quote, a balanced routine would be work, exercise, fun, and peace. I consider myself fortunate to have a soulmate of the same spiritual wavelength. She is the moon to my sun. Isn't that? Oh my god. That is so cute. That is literally so cute. When is it my turn? When is it my turn? When is it my turn? That, when I read that, I was like, oh my god, that is literally the cutest thing ever. And so, from Chad as a person, he seemed like such a cool guy. As I just read, he said spiritual wavelength, and that was because both of them were very spiritual. They love to be outside. They love to be in mother nature. They love to bike and go camping and hike. And even Chad himself loved to go camping. He also loved to go like hunting and he would frequently take his boys with him. They just love to be outdoors. And same thing with Margaret. Margaret... From what I could read, Margaret was literally the cutest little precious lady in the world. She 
is the woman everybody wants to be. Like she was such a cute little lady. Her hobbies included cycling with her family and her husband. She also loved hiking. She also loved watching sports and fostering horses. So similar to fostering dogs, uh, if you guys are unfamiliar, the horse racing industry is a very abusive industry for horses. A lot of them are abused and whipped. Some of them are even given very damaging medication so uh, the horses would perform better in races. Some are even given steroids and these are just animals. They can't consent to anything. They are just forcibly putting things in these horses' bodies so that they race very well and all of this abuse does contribute to a very rapidly declining health rate as well as aging as well and even a lot of these horses, if they give birth to a horse that is disabled in some way, such as if the horse comes out without a leg or blind or hard of hearing, a lot of these horses, since they're not able to race or be sold, they are just simply left for dead, which is very, very sad and it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible like rabbit hole to fall down on, but that is where Margaret would come in. Margaret would take these abused animals, these abused horses, and just foster them. She would take care of them. She would love them. She would nurse them back to health. She would make them happy um, she had a horse stable in the backyard of her house where she would raise these horses and basically just let them run wild. She loved to just like take care of them and she would foster them to a point where until she found a family that would love and take care of them the same way that she loved and took care of them. And that is what she did in her spare time. As I said, Margaret already had a nine to five. She was a senior operations manager. This was something that she just did for fun. So the fact that she did something like this in her spare time just really goes to show how big of a heart Margaret had. And her kids, Jason, Cody, and Grant would frequently go and ride out on the horses as well. They would also take care of the horses. They were always in the stables together. So Margaret and Chad were just such a cute couple. They were very spiritual. So they would like meditate together. They would go on hikes. They would go cycling. They would raise their kids like that as well. They were definitely the type of parents. I don't know if you guys did sports as kids, but do you remember like if you did sports, that one, like those parents or that one mom that would show up to every game with like a huge cooler and you open up that cooler and it has like juices and every snack possible and like all these things. That is how Margaret was. That is how Margaret and Chad were. They were definitely the parents that would like organize which pizza restaurant they were going to after a big game. <laughs> like they were that couple. As you could see, they loved each other very, very much. And so as the boys were nearing high school, this was around the time Jason was 17 years old because as I said, he was the oldest and it was at this age where he moved out of the house and 
I couldn't tell if he moved out of the house to just live on his own or if he moved out of the house to go to college. That part was a little fuzzy, but he did move out of the house at 17, and this was around the time where Cody and Grant were entering high school. So since it was just Cody, Grant, Margaret, and Chad, Cody and Grant grew very, very close. They were like best friends. They were inseparable. They listened to the same music, watched the same movies, read the same books. They were like the same person basically and when they went into high school they actually did weightlifting together. The family was also a really big hunting family so they had a lot of guns in the house and this was something that Cody and Grant would frequently do together. They would go out and hunt. Uh, They would also frequently go out to the shooting range as well. The boys would later go on to go to Timber Creek High School, and even in high school, they were inseparable. They had a lot of similar interests. The boys were only two years apart. Cody was born in 1987, and Grant was born in 1989, so the boys were very close in age as well. But the biggest contrast between Cody and Grant, especially during high school, Cody was the type of person that was very outgoing. He was very charismatic. A lot of his friends would describe him as the light in every room. He would just go into a room and just like talk to quite literally anyone. Even the quiet kids, he would always talk to the quiet kids. Like if anything, he was the kind of guy that brought the quiet kids out of their comfort zone and start like joking around with them. He was just a person that everyone wanted to be around. So naturally, he had a lot of friends. But as for Grant, he was the complete opposite growing Growing up, a lot of people would describe him as very off, very awkward, very shy. He didn't really talk to many people and the only friends that he had were Cody's friends. Like if Cody's friends came over to the house, uh, Grant would hang out with them or if Cody was going out somewhere with his friends, he would have Grant tag along. So Grant's friends was Cody's friends, but those friends were more Cody's friends than Grant friends, if that makes any sense. And so Grant was more of the quieter one. And so as they pursued high school, they had very similar interests, Cody and Grant, in that they both wanted to go into the medical field because their father was a clinical pharmacist. But actually, fun fact, um, Chad's father, so their grandfather, was also a pharmacist as well. So medical field ran through their family and they both wanted to do something in the medical field. So Cody and Grant both attended and graduated from the University of Central Florida before they both went on and attended anesthesiology school. Now, Cody and Grant did go to anesthesiology school, but Cody finished and graduated while Grant dropped out halfway through and he got a a CRNA job at a place called Advent Health in Orlando. And the boys, although they were kind of on separate career paths, they were still very, very close. They actually planned on getting matching BMWs when they were older. Until June of 2018, when Grant was 29 years old, he had been working at this hospital for a couple of years at this point, but it was at this point where he actually got fired from his job after allegedly stealing eight vials of propofol after finding eight empty vials in two specific rooms that Grant was overseeing. So when Grant was confronted with this, he said that he actually was administering it to patients, but he was administering it because he felt that the patients were, quote, not adequately relaxed by doctor-ordered medication. 
So basically, Grant was just doing the doctor's job and giving the patients medication that he felt they needed, which is very, very illegal. So they fired Grant on suspicion of stealing and improperly administering medication to patients and for suicidal thoughts. But afterwards, this suicidal thought was dismissed by officers when they said that after doing an examination on Grant, they felt that he wasn't a danger to himself or others. And the hospital was actually going to arrest Grant for grand larceny, but these charges were later dropped. The hospital felt that it was in their best benefit not to really say anything because since Grant was giving this medication to patients that didn't need this medication, if these patients found out that they were getting the wrong medication, that could open up the doors to many, many lawsuits that the hospital just did not want to do. So that is when they just fired Grant altogether, but also told other hospitals like, hey, this is what happened. So if Grant comes to your hospital, you have been warned. So Grant had just lost his job and he was struggling to find another job. And at this point, uh, Grant was living at home with his parents and same with Cody. Cody was 31 years old and he was living at home with their parents, but he had a very successful job at a hospital and he was working all the time. But since Grant didn't have a job, he couldn't really find and look for a job because none of these jobs was accepting him. And so he had no choice but to just stay home and be online all day. And since he was online all day, he felt that if he couldn't get a job in the medical field, he was going to try at a Twitch career. So he tried to get a Twitch streaming career. He started off just by playing video games online, but this career kind of fell through. It wasn't really going anywhere. And so since Grant was just locked up in his room online all day, that is when he came across a website called myfreecams.com. Myfreecams.com was a sometimes X-rated, sometimes PG-13 uh, cam girl or guy website and some not even showing their face at all. How this website worked actually was the viewer would purchase virtual tokens and these tokens would be used to do things such as tip performers, watch private shows, chat with them privately. And it was on this site where Grant Grant met a woman by the name of Sylvia Ventisis Lavova. I think I pronounced that right. And she was from Bulgaria. But Sylvia actually went by the alias Sylvie online. And Grant's obsession with Sylvie would later turn into a very dark and twisted obsession. At first, it was very innocent, just him watching her a couple of times until he started to realize that he got a lot of attention from Sylvie if he gave her money. So Grant would later use Sylvie and his online persona as a way to escape his personal life and go into a false one because in his personal life, 
life, his parents were very strict with Grant or they were starting to get strict with Grant just because they felt, you know, Grant had just went to school. He has his degree. He should be looking for jobs. You know, you can't be 30 years old and living at home still with no job, no school. They just felt like they wanted more for Grant. They felt like Grant had been destined to do great things and they were just, you know, trying to push him to do those great things. But every time his parents would even mention the word job to him, it would just end up in a very explosive argument. Grant felt that they were favoring Cody over him because at this point, Cody had a very successful career as a nurse and a lot of Cody's co-workers would say um, that Cody, since, as I said, he was a very charismatic, very loving person, Cody would apply that same charisma to the workplace as well. Everyone wanted to be Cody's friend at work. Cody was definitely the type of nurse that like, if you're ever a patient at a hospital, you know, you're usually super scared. You have lots of questions. And every time that patient would see Cody, it was like that he was cracking jokes. He was making everything calm. He was definitely the peacemaker in the workplace. He just tried to make sure that everything was going good, that everyone was good. And so with the contrast of Cody and Grant's life, it was like the parents were trying to get Grant up again. They were trying to influence him to do more work. And even if that wasn't a job in the medical industry, it could have been a warehouse job or a fast food chain or an office job. But at this time, Grant was simply just living at home with no job, completely rent free. And since he had no job, he had no money and he would frequently have to ask his parents or Cody for money anytime he wanted anything. And most of the time, his parents and Cody would give the money to Grant just because they felt really bad for him and they felt kind of guilty if they didn't give him money. And Grant started to realize this and would soon take big advantage of their generosity. So every time he asked his parents for money and his parents said no, he would go to Cody and he would get Cody that way and vice versa. If Cody said no, he would go to his parents and if they said no, he would just keep on going back and forth. And he was mostly asking for a lot of money due to his online life with Sylvie. His online life with Sylvie started to become very, very obsessive and very dark. He would spend hours and hours watching Sylvie and spending thousands and thousands of dollars on Sylvie. With Sylvie specifically in her online uh, persona, she would charge 90 tokens per minute and Grant would typically spend four hours a night watching Sylvie online and he would buy up to 5,000 tokens and doing the math for what Grant was spending during this time, 5,000 tokens would be like over $600 and those 5,000 tokens would only get you up to an hour. He was spending over $2,400 per night just watching Sylvie. And that's just getting to look at her. That doesn't count all of the private chats that he had paid for, all of the one-on-one video chats that he had paid for, all of the extra tips that he had given her. 
And in their private chats, him and Sylvie would talk nearly every single day. And every time he talked to Sylvie, he would, of course, have to give her money. But he would put up the online persona and tell Sylvie that he was a professional gamer on Twitch. And he was very, very successful. He was rich. He had his own house. He drove a very fancy BMW. And he would often send lingerie to Sylvie as well as adult toys to which in their private one-on-one video calls Sylvie would model the lingerie and use the adult toys which again would spend even more money per night. And so this cycle became a very repetitive and dangerous cycle to where Grant fell into the mind state of him being in love with Sylvie. He genuinely felt like he talked to her every day, he saw her every day, and he genuinely felt like he was in love with Sylvie. He felt like he was in love with her and she was in love with him and they were meant to be together and since he loved her so much he wanted to spend every second with her but every second with her costed him lots of money and since he put up this persona as if he was rich he needed to play that part and he would do whatever he could to please Sylvie. And so he realized that the only way to spend more time with Sylvie or catch Sylvie's eyes was to give her more money. And so then in November of 2018, this obsession got so bad to the point where going back to Grant's bank statements during this time, Grant went from spending $2,400 a night to $20,000 a night just watching Sylvie. And $20,000 just a day, he dedicated his entire life to Sylvie and fueling this online persona. He would tell her that he was rich, that he was successful. He would be constantly buying private chats and private shows and his whole day just became consumed with Sylvie to the point where he was no longer looking for jobs or trying to find money for himself or looking for a real-life girlfriend, he would just spend every single day, all day, locked up in his room, watching Sylvie, talking to Sylvie, or doing something similar. And so, you're probably all thinking, $20,000 a day? Where is he getting this money from? You know, he has no job, he has no money, where is all this money coming from? Well, After a while, his parents and Cody realized that he was taking advantage of their generosity, so it just got to a point where Cody and his parents had to say no every time Grant would just ask him for money, and so every time Grant would ask them for money, it just got to a point where Cody and his parents just had to say no. They had to be like, no, if you want your own money, go get a job. Go go get a job somewhere, and that way you'll have your own money. We can't, you know, financially support you this much. And so since Grant didn't want to get a job because that would take his time away from Sylvie, but he still wanted to please Sylvie, it got to a point where Grant would go as far as hacking his parents and Cody's bank accounts and get money from their bank accounts just to spend time with Sylvie. And so all of this money, all of this $20,000 a month was coming 
coming from his parents' savings or from Cody's savings. And this went on for months until it got to a point where just within a few months, he had stolen over $200,000 from his parents and Cody. So that is when his parents and Cody started to realize that there was money being taken out of their savings. And when they look at the transactions from their savings, they notice that it's all coming from this one website called My Free Cams. And so that is when they confront Cody and they start to basically, you know, rightfully so, say, hey, what are you doing and why are you hacking our bank accounts? And it just blew up into a big argument. And every single time the parents would even mention the word job to uh, Grant, it would blow up into a big argument to where it just got to a point where it was just no use in bringing it up anymore. But at this time, since the parents saw that a lot of money was being taken from their savings due to Grant, they just had enough. They just, they stepped up, they said what they needed to say, and they were angry with Grant. But as I was saying earlier, Cody at the workplace was definitely the peacemaker. He was definitely making sure that everyone was super calm, and he was the same exact way at the house. So every time the parents and Grant would get into a heated argument, as I said, Cody and Grant were like inseparable. They were best friends. And so Cody, although Grant had done him so wrong, Cody, through thick and thin, stood by Grant's side. He stood up for Grant every time a argument would go on. Cody was the peacemaker of the household. He would make sure everything would remain calm. He would always stick up to their parents and say, you know, Grant's just going through a rough time. You know, he'll pay you back. And if, even if he doesn't pay you back, I'll try my hardest to pay you back for him. You know, you're going to get your money back. And he would go to Grant and say, you know, Grant, I'm here for you. And he would go to Grant and he would say things like, you know, I'll, I'll help you pay everyone off. I'm here for you. Just let me know what's going on. And that just really goes to show how big of a heart Cody had for Grant and how much of a soft spot Cody had for Grant in that even though Grant had stolen so much money from Cody, so much of his money that could have gone to his debt for his two tuition to a retirement fund, Cody just looked past that and was able to still be on Grant's side and say, you know, I understand you're going through a rough time and we'll get through this together. So the following month in December of 2018, Grant and Cody were still very much best friends. Cody was still on Grant's side and that's when Cody just says to Grant, you know, let's get out of here. You know, let's take a trip somewhere, me and you. You know, we haven't had some brother time in a while. Maybe this time away from mom and dad will actually do good for you. Let's go somewhere. And that is when Cody, Grant, and Cody's friend all decide to take a trip to Japan because the three boys were very into anime. They loved anime. They loved Japanese culture. And there was this very specific uh, studio called the Studio Ghibli, I believe it's pronounced, a museum in Tokyo. And this was the same studio that made very big movies like Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, and a bunch more. 
And so they always wanted to visit the museum out there. So they take a trip to Japan, they visit the museum, they experience the culture. And since Grant at this time had no money, this was purely all coming out of Cody's pocket. Cody paid for Grant's plane ticket. He paid for Grant's food. He paid for his souvenirs. Cody completely paid everything for Grant because that is just how much Cody loved Grant. And it's really saddening to see just how much Cody loved Grant and even though Grant had done him wrong so many times he still had it in his heart to be like you know what let's just go take a trip together don't worry about the expenses I got you let's just go have fun together away from the parents. Cody, Cody's friend, and Grant were planning on taking a last-minute trip just out into the city and exploring a few spots that they didn't get to, you know, have a chance to go to. But on this night, that is when Grant decided to stay back. He said that he wasn't feeling well, and so Cody and his friend were like, okay, cool, that's fine. Just get better, stay here. We're gonna go out. We're gonna explore the city. So as the two boys were gone, Grant was actually not sick at all but instead he stayed back so that he could watch Sylvie. So Grant looked through Cody's friends' items and he actually found his friends' credit card. So he took his credit card and he went to a nearby Wi-Fi cafe and that is where he would spend over $600 just for an hour to watch Sylvie and talk to her. So whilst Cody and his friend are out, that is when Cody's friend all of a sudden receives a phone call from his parents and his parents are like, hey, do you have your credit card with you? Because there was just this $600 payment that was taken out of your account for a website called My Free Cams. You know, it's none of our business, but we were just making sure if this was you. And so Cody's friend is like, no, actually I left my credit card back at the hotel. I don't know, like maybe someone stole it. And so he gets off of the phone and he tells Cody like, hey, we need to go back to the hotel because there was a charge taken out on my credit card for a website called My Free Cams. And we need to make sure that my credit card is still there and it wasn't stolen. And so as soon as Cody hears the words, my free cams, he knows immediately it was Grant. And so Cody then tells his friend like, hey, your credit card wasn't stolen. That was actually Grant. He's been doing this for a really long time. And so the two of them go back to the hotel room. They look around the room. They realize Grant's gone and his credit card is gone. So the two of them wait there until Grant gets back. And this just explodes into a huge argument between his friend Cody and Grant. And this was the argument that really made Cody realize that he cannot stick up for Grant anymore. He's starting to realize all of the bad things that Grant has done. And he literally gave Grant a full, you know, no expenses paid trip to Japan. And even then, he's still stealing money from people. And so Grant isn't really mad. He's just more disappointed in Grant. And he's concerned 
concern for Grant. He realizes that this is an addiction. This is something that is going on, not between the family, but into everyone that Grant meets. And this is very unhealthy. So then on December 19th of 2018, that's when they get back from their trip. Cody thinks a lot about it, but he realizes it's best if he tells his parents what's going on. So Cody tells his parents what happened in Japan. That's when his parents sit down with Grant and say, hey, what happened in Japan? Like, this cannot be happening anymore. You're stealing money from everyone now. You already put us $200,000 in debt. And immediately, this mature conversation blew up into an argument where everything was let off the table. Everything that the parents had on their chest was just let out. Everything that Cody was holding back was now being let out because he felt like he was just so betrayed by his brother that he didn't want to defend him anymore and so this argument got so bad and they brought up everything they brought up why are you hacking into our bank accounts why are you stealing all this money where is this money going to why haven't you found a job yet why aren't you going back to school and this argument got so bad that grant just up and left the house he just drove in his car and he was gone and so after about two hours that is when he still hadn't returned home so all three of them tried calling him texting him there was no reply and Margaret specifically was growing very concerned because although he had done so much wrong to her Margaret still had that big heart you know she still loved and cared for everyone and that was her son and despite what he did she still cared for him and so she was very very worried she knew that he was depressed and had suicidal thoughts so she was just trying to call him trying to text him there was no reply she stood up all night trying to wait for him and he did not come home whatsoever so in the morning she called the police and that is when she told the police what was going on said that he was a missing person but he is experiencing depression and suicidal thoughts so she was very concerned about his whereabouts and what he would do and margaret also tells the police that she had received a very concerning text from grant saying quote I'm really tired of everything, just going to handle it my own way. And through this, she grew very, very concerned. She had no clue what that meant. And so the police were able to track Grant's license plate number to his aunt's house in Apopka, Florida. Um, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but it's about 30 minutes away from where he lived. And so the aunt would say that that night, Grant had gone to their home and basically said that he got into an argument with his parents. His aunt and uncle were not aware of everything going on. They weren't aware of the stealing money situation. They weren't aware of his myfreecams.com. He was, they weren't aware of any of it. They just assumed that Grant got into a really bad fight with his parents and needed a place to stay. So they just let him stay there for a couple of days. But over the course of those few days, the aunt said that she recognized some really concerning behavior in Grant. She knows 
noticed that he would sleep all day long and stay up all night long. He would also not really eat that much. He wouldn't talk very much. He just seemed very depressed and lost. And this family was also a hunting family similar to Grant's family. So they had a lot of guns in the house. And so they decided to lock up all of the guns in the house and hide all of them just in case, you know, Grant was going to do something. They were scared that Grant was going to do something while all of them were at work. So it was actually a really good idea for them to do that and a very responsible thing to do. Until one day, Grant's aunt was looking at her bank account and she realized that through her bank account, there had been hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of charges made from a website called My Free Cams. And so at first she thought that someone stole her card until she later found out that Grant every single night while the family was sleeping, hence why he would sleep all day and stay up all night, was so that he would steal her credit card and use it to watch and talk to Sylvie all night long as the family slept. And it wasn't just the aunt that had charges to her credit card. His uncle had charges, his grandma had charges, and one of his cousins had charges as well. So quite literally, anyone that Grant came in contact with was affected by his addictions and his need to just talk to Sylvia and watch Sylvia all day long. So that is when Grant's aunt calls Chad, uh, Grant's dad, and basically just tells him everything. She tells him, you know, Grant's been going on this website called My Free Cams. He's charged all of our cards. I don't know what's going on. And that is when Chad on the phone just simply breaks down. He starts crying and he just says everything that's been going on from the My Free Cams to him losing his job to him staying up all night and stealing all of their money, hacking into bank accounts. And he just says everything. He says that Grant has stolen so much money from the family that they can't even retire now. He was working so hard his entire life as a clinical pharmacist so that he would be able to retire early, but now he feels like he can't do that anymore. So he tells everything to Grant's aunt of what was going on. And that is when both of them came to agreement that this cannot continue. This has to stop. And so that is when the both of them decide to create an intervention with Grant and try to get him some help for his internet addiction. Because at this time, when they saw the charges coming from MyFreeCams.com, they had no clue that he was going on there to specifically watch Sylvie. They assumed that he was just going over there to watch porn and watch cam girls. They had no clue about Sylvie right now. So they wanted to get him some help. So that is when Chad, Margaret, Cody, and Jason all go over to the aunt's house to visit Grant and they all sit down with him and they give him an ultimatum. And this ultimatum was either you leave with us right now to go to a treatment facility or you are disconnected from the family. You are cut off from the family. We can't do this anymore because even if we try to change our bank information, you hack into our bank account. So there's nothing we can do except just disconnect you from the family. So either get help 
or go find a place of your own and get a job. And so due to this, Grant did not put up an argument. He did not put up a fight. He just willingly went and went to the facility to get help. And the family knew that this porn addiction or sex addiction could actually lead down very dark paths and they just didn't want that for Grant. And so during the conversation, Grant just stayed quiet. He didn't argue at all. And by the end, he agreed to go to the rehab clinic in South Florida. And at this specific clinic that he was being sent to, it was a clinic that specialized in substance abusers such as alcohol and drugs, but not internet porn or sex addictions. And I think in general, there's not that many places that specialize in sex or internet addictions where I feel like, especially today with like the growing internet, you know, it's literally 10 year old have TikToks. TikTok is a very addictive platform, a very internet addictive platform. And so, I feel like there's not that many internet sex or porn addiction rehab clinics or people that specialize in that field even though it is a very serious addiction and it's just as addictive as anything else. And from leehealth.org, they say, quote, using social media can lead to physical and psychological addictions because it triggers the brain's reward system to release dopamine, the feel-good chemical. And also from a website called therecoveryvillage.com, quote, the number of people in the U.S. living with sex addiction is currently estimated at 12 to 30 million. Both men and women can be affected, though there is little research on female sex addiction. Men with sex addiction have an average of 32 sexual partners, while females have an average of 22 sexual partners per month. Another quote from that website, sex addiction can also, quote, expand to much more harmful criminal acts such as rape, human trafficking, child molestation, and pornography. Another quote from that site says, quote, Romantic partners, especially women, can also suffer emotionally when they discover that their partner has sex addiction or has committed infidelity. As many as 80% develop depression, while 60% develop an eating disorder. Partners of people with sex addiction are also much more likely to contract an STI, such as HIV or HPV. Now, these are just some, like, quotes and things that I found when I was researching, just because I feel like in this this specific clinic, since they didn't specialize in sex or porn addiction, they weren't able to properly treat Grant for his addiction. And I think this is a very important topic to cover just because I feel like a lot of people don't take sex or porn addiction very seriously. I feel like people tend to shrug it off and just be like, oh, you know, that's not a real addiction. You know, sex addiction, that's not a real thing. But as I just read, it can lead to very, very dangerous routes to where such as drug or alcohol addiction, people will do whatever they can to get what they need. And people doing whatever they can in order to get sex is a very dangerous route to where sometimes people will forcibly make that person do what they say to get that high to receive sex. And that is a very, very dangerous addiction. And it is an addiction. It's an addiction that can affect so many people's lives and not just their personal lives, but everyone around them as well. And so... 
So I feel like with how important this addiction is and how it is a true addiction, I feel like there should have been and there still should be more people that specialize in this area, especially with internet addiction. And I feel like if Grant was given those specialized people, those people that could help him because Contrary to alcohol and drug addiction, it's very simple to see if a person has taken drugs or alcohol recently due to pupil dilation. They could run tests, they could take blood work, and easily through that, they can see if the person had been on drugs or alcohol. But when it comes to internet or sex addiction, I mean, people can even think of sex to get their fix. And sometimes that's not as easy to just see. So, with internet or sex addiction, it's kind of harder to see if that person had, you know, cheated and had actually committed the thing that they're not supposed to commit. So, I just wanted to talk about that real quick because I know that this is a very important issue and it does have to do a lot with the case, but I also know that I have a big platform and I'm able to talk about these things and maybe educate you watching this video about this and that porn and sex addiction is an addiction. It's not something to just shrug off or make, you know, just a joke about. Like, there are a lot of people that struggle with it and even still struggle with, so just wanted to lay that out there. But how does this have to do with the case? With this case, I feel like if Grant was given that special attention, who knows if he would have changed, who knows if he would have turned out differently. But as you will see, since these people weren't specialized in that specific area, things were just simply shrugged off and were not really taken proper care of. So the family drives Grant to the facility and the family ends up paying $15,000 to enroll Grant in their 60-day program. And so whilst Grant is in this program and he's, you know, at this facility, he's not at home, Cody and Chad take this opportunity to investigate uh, Grant's room and see what's going on there, try to figure out his computer. So they eventually hack into his computer and once they get into his computer, that is when they are introduced to everything that Grant has been doing. They have his My Free Cams account. They discover Sylvie. They figure out this is the woman that he's spending all his time and money towards. They also find out how on his account he is always bragging about how much money he has and how he can spend money like there's no tomorrow and he just has all this money ready to give and how he has this BMW and this big house and the family reading this was extremely angry because this wasn't Grant's money and it seemed like Grant didn't really care about spending other people's money because it made him look better online. It was very ego fueling and so the family put an end to it. They used Grant's account and they told all of Grant's friends on this website and including Sylvie what actually was going on. 
so they told Sylvie and all of um, Grant's inner circle. So there was like a community of people that really watched Sylvie and dedicated their lives to Sylvie. And so it was kind of an inner circle of people. And these were the people that Grant was friends with. So Cody and Chad just told his inner circle as well as Sylvie herself that Grant was lying about everything. He had no job. He had a basic car. He was still living at home with his parents rent-free. He had absolutely no money because he had no job and all of the money that he had given Sylvie was stolen money from all of his family, his friends, and they also ended it off with saying that they were no longer allowed to contact him even if Grant tries to contact them. And he says the same to Sylvie. He says, do not contact him even if he tries to contact you. We do not want him in this world anymore because now that we see this is where our money was going, we don't want him to engage in this world anymore because it's clearly very bad for him to do so. It's an addiction of his. And so going back to what I was saying earlier about how I feel this facility wasn't giving Grant the proper treatment, is because Grant was actually released after only two weeks of being in this facility. So that means Grant was just let go 46 days early than to what he was actually supposed to go there for. And again, I have no proof. I have nothing, you know, and no evidence to prove that Grant wasn't given the proper treatment, but it did seem like they just kind of brushed it off as like, oh, sex addiction, not that big of a deal. Just go out there, don't do it again. And also Grant, when he was in this facility, he was just telling everyone simply what they just wanted to hear. He was saying, I understand my mistakes. I won't go online anymore. I know it's bad for me. As soon as I get home, I'm throwing away my computer and I'm not doing this anymore. And I know it affects the people around me. They were, he was just saying what they wanted to hear. And after two weeks, he was released. Everyone's skin and skin type is different, so finding a clean skincare that actually works makes the struggle even worse. But thanks to Osea, you never have to feel like that. Osea is a California-based skincare and body care brand that has been making clean, vegan, cruelty-free skincare products for over 25 years, with their products being proven to work and climate-neutral certified. They use seaweed as their hero ingredient, which is nutrient-rich superfood with benefits like anti-aging and moisturization. With the fall weather coming up lately, it's been getting really cold, and with the cold weather comes dry skin season. But lately, I've been wearing the Undari algae body butter and my skin has never felt more hydrated and soft. I personally love Osea's mission of clean seaweed-based skincare and body care products because since I personally have sensitive skin, different chemicals that are usually put in skincare products affect my skin, but I haven't had that problem when using Osea. You've probably heard of Osea through their TikTok famous Undaria Algae Body Oil, but now it comes in a body butter form. Again, with their iconic nutrient-rich seaweed, ceramides, and whipped shea butter, this body butter turns dry skin into smooth and supple skin. Osea have been proven 72 hours of hydration and with its silky and buttery texture, it keeps your skin feeling and smelling amazing all day long. For clean body care that gives you facial skin care level results, 
you've got to try Osea. And right now, I have a special discount just for the listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the promo code behind at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping. You'll want to get it all. So go to Osea, that is O-S-E-A, malibu.com with promo code behind. So since Grant was released 46 days early, he was only there for two weeks, the family is under the impression, you know, they spent $15,000 for him to go to this rehab facility. They were under the impression that Grant was probably, you know, a lot better, you know? Why would a rehabilitation facility release one of its patients if they weren't better yet? So they were under the impression that he was doing a lot better, and so that's why they allowed Grant to live back home again. And this was a big contributing factor to Cody. Cody was the big peacemaker and Cody was a really big contributing factor as to why the parents never kicked out Grant even when things got really, really bad. He just kept on telling the parents, you know, he's going through a rough time. Don't kick him out. He has nowhere to go. And so they let him live back in the house. But now that he was in the house, he was going to abide by a new set of rules. And so Chad basically gave Grant an option of either not living at home or living at home. So the first two options of not living at home meant that he had to move out get his own apartment where he would have to pay the rent, he would have to pay the facilities, just immediately kicked out and moved into an apartment. Or the second option was to move into a hotel. And in this hotel, he would still have to pay the hotel's rates all by himself. He would have to get a job or the options to stay at home was that he could stay at home just as long as he got a job and he helped pay back a lot of the people that he owed money to, including themselves, or he would have to go into the military. Chad also said that if he did choose the option to stay at home, he cannot have phone with internet access, so just like a flip phone. They would take away his computer and turn off all the Wi-Fi at night, and he was forced to cut all ties off with Sylvie. And so, while they're sitting down having this conversation discussing new rules, Chad tries to open up Grant's eyes and tell him, Sylvie doesn't love you. She loves your money. If she really loved you, she wouldn't make you pay all of this money just to talk to her, you know? You need to understand that this is where the problem lies, that you are just giving her this money to fuel your own ego. And maybe in the future, if you get all this money, you could put that energy into a real wife or a real girlfriend that you can meet in real life. And so that is when Chad also tells Grant that even if he tries to contact Sylvie or his inner circle friends that were also obsessed with Sylvie, he cannot because him and Cody went online and they told everyone who Grant actually was. They told him that he didn't have a job, that he still stayed at home, just the truth basically. And this is what 
really made Grant mad. This is what made Grant explode. He was angry. He couldn't believe that they had done something like this. And they already had taken away Grant's computer and everything. There was really no way for him to contact anyone. And this was a huge breaking point for Grant because he was now not living a lie anymore. The lie that he had made up. He was not living this lavish online persona anymore. And so since that had been taken away from him, he was now forced to confront his reality, his reality that he had been avoiding for a very long time. So that is when he agreed to stay home. He was going to get a job. He was going to have no internet access. He was going to have a flip phone with no internet access, and he chose that option. But after only a week of following these rules, Grant's mom, Margaret, she had a very soft spot for Grant. She loved Grant. She had a big heart. And so she felt guilty by, you know, taking all of this stuff away from Grant. She saw how distressed it made him. So that is when Margaret had given Grant her phone sometimes because her phone had internet access and she would allow Grant to talk to Sylvie over Twitter. And when Chad found this out, he was furious. This was quite literally his last straw. So then on the morning of January 24th, 2019, that is when Grant and Chad had a huge fight. They were screaming at each other. They were yelling. And by the end, Chad just said, get out. I'm leaving for work. And by the time I get home from work, I want you moved out of this house. I can't do this anymore. I now have to retire a lot later in life. All of my hard-worked money is just gone because of you. You're ruining everyone's life around you. And this is just unacceptable. There's nothing we can do for you anymore. We've tried our best. And so that is when, as Chad was leaving to go to work, he saw Grant packing a bag so that he could leave that same day. So at this time, Cody and Margaret were both at work, but they were receiving text messages from Chad and Grant telling them what was going on at home, that Grant was being kicked out of the house and he was currently packing a bag to leave. So then that night at 9.15, Cody got off of his nursing shift and he was supposed to go hang out with his girlfriend, but his girlfriend said that he actually had to cancel their plans because he, quote, needed to go home and deal with stupid s. And so the next day on Friday, January 25th of 2019, the sheriff's office get a call from Cody's work very concerned and saying that Cody had not shown up to his shift that day and he had not called. They said that this was concerning because Cody was the type of person that would never take off work without calling. This was very odd for Cody and also one of Cody's co-workers said that Cody always had his phone on him and his phone was always on and so the fact that he wasn't answering any calls or texts was even more concerning. 
And so that is when the hospital requires a wellness check over at Cody's house. So at 9.17 a.m., the police go over to perform a wellness check and they notice that there are cars in the driveway. So there's definitely someone home. So the police are trying to knock on the doors, but there are no answers. They try looking around, looking through the windows, but they realize that on the windows, there is like papers taped to the windows. So the police even trying to look inside could not see inside so after a while um the police started banging on the door they even blew an air horn and since they still had no response the police took a knife and were able to get inside of the house upon opening the door however that is when they were met with the body of chad amato lying on his back on the kitchen floor in a pool of blood So the police do realize this is a murder scene and something more is going on here, so they call in for backup. When examining the crime scene, they look in the kitchen where Chad's body was. He was lying on the floor on his back and what looked to be work clothes that he had on as well as a gun holster on his right hip. There was defrosting chicken in the sink and Chad's lunchbox was on the floor covered in blood. Chad had two clear gunshot wounds to the back of his head. His body was lying close to the exit of the kitchen, although most of the blood was centered around the kitchen counter where his lunchbox was found on the floor. They noted that the lunchbox was indeed empty, meaning that this was probably around the time of him either coming home from work or going to work as he was filling up his lunchbox. The police then move forward into the rest of the house and that is when they find 62-year-old Margaret slumped over at her desk lying in a pool of blood. She had a half-drinking glass of white wine and she was also shot in the back of her head. They walk over to the rest of the house as they reach to the garage and that is where they find the body of 32-year-old Cody Amato in the doorway of the garage and he was lying with his head facing towards the garage and lying in a fetal position. But what was different about Cody's case is he was shot in the front of his head. Lying near Cody's body was his backpack as well as two different handguns and four bullet casings about four feet away from his body. So at first, without knowing anything of the family, they assumed this looked like to be a murder-suicide case. So at first, when they saw this crime scene, that is what they thought this was until they started doing a little bit more digging on the family and found that they actually had two more sons Grant and Jason. So when they started tracking down Grant and Jason, Jason was very easy to track down at this time. He had lived away from the house. He had a wife and kids. And when they went over to his house, Jason was not aware of the news. So when the police had to break the news to Jason, the police said that Jason just stood there in absolute shock. He wasn't crying. He wasn't sobbing. He was just in 
complete shock. And that's when the police asked him if he would be willing to come down to the station and answer a couple of questions. Now, although Jason was easy to find, Grant was a little bit harder to find because they found that Grant's residency was at the home that the crime took place. And the fact that Grant wasn't there was very concerning. And so as they were looking for Grant, that is when they tracked down Grant's license plate to a hotel in Orange County, Florida, about 30 minutes away from the house. They figure out what hotel room he's staying in. They go to the door and when they open up the door, it looks like Grant is wearing nursing scrubs. And as soon as he sees the police without saying a word, Grant immediately lies on the ground and has his hands behind his back as if he's preparing to get arrested. And this was actually shown on police body cam footage and it's very odd to police that Grant would do this because at this time they, you know, just visited Jason. They found that Jason knew nothing about what was going on and they assumed that Grant was in the same position. They were still looking at this as a murder-suicide. So the fact that Grant was just willing to get arrested even though he had done nothing wrong, there was no evidence to prove him that he was to blame for this crime and as far as they knew Grant had no clue that his family had died so why he assumed he was getting arrested was very very odd to police. And Grant even goes as far as while he's getting handcuffs on him he says to the police quote I have my duffel bag and whatnot in there if you guys want to check it out. So inviting the police to check his bags and again the police have not told Grant what he's being arrested for or why he's being arrested or that his whole family is dead. So all of this combined, it was just very odd for police the way that things were rolling out. So as far as Grant's interrogation, he was in interrogation for nearly seven hours and he told the police everything that happened in the past. He told the police about their money problems, his problems, rehab, the arguments, Sylvie, just everything. And he was pretty honest throughout the entire interrogation, except for his whereabouts during the time of the crime. And they noticed that around this point is where it started to get a little messy and they didn't really understand the timeline that Grant was trying to give. Grant said that his father came home from work that day around 5.30 and that is when they got into another argument and Grant was packed out of the house by 9.30 p.m. to stay at a hotel because he had nowhere else to go. And so before Grant left, he had said that Cody went up to him and told him that he was going to take care of mom and dad and try to calm down the situation. He said that when he left, everyone was alive and well. And the weird thing was that Grant specifically told the police that when he left, everyone was alive and well, when at this point, the police had never told Grant that his family was dead. So this was the main giveaway, that Grant definitely knew what was going on and why exactly he was being interrogated. Never once did he ask, you know, what's wrong with my family? Why am I here? Why am I being questioned? It seemed like from the 
the get-go, he knew that he was going to be arrested and then immediately started pleading innocence, even though he supposedly didn't know what he was pleading innocent to. And so that is when the police try to get Grant to confess to something. So they start showing photos of the crime scene to Grant. And they did say that Grant was looking very distraught while looking at the photos, but he still claimed that he had nothing to do with this. They also note that whilst Grant is speaking about his family when he was talking about getting kicked out and everything, they know that Grant spoke very hatefully about his family and it seemed like he didn't like his family and his family did not like him, which then made the police think that this could be a motive. Grant basically goes on and tells the police like, oh yeah, my family for the past few months have been saying all this nonsense about how I ruined their lives and stole everything that they worked hard for and blah, 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 blah. Like basically just pointing his family to be the bad guy and this was very telling to police that clearly Grant thought of himself as this higher figure and thought his family was the crazy ones. And so as Grant is telling his story, the police also point out that at one point, Grant slips up on a small detail of his story. Grant slips up and changes his story because in the beginning, he had told police that he had left the house at 9.30 p.m. to go to a hotel after he was being kicked out. But then at another point in the story, he says that he actually left at 12.30 a.m. that night and spent the night in a grocery store parking lot because he had no money for a hotel and so that morning he found some extra money and he went to a job interview and right after that job interview he then went to the hotel explaining why he had nurse scrubs on when they arrested him. There was also one point in Grant's story where he said that he went home that next day and he saw news vans outside of his house and police cars and instead of going up to one of the officers and saying, hey, that's my house, what's going on here, he instead went to a local Panera Bread and just searched up, quote, top news stories. And all of this combined, the, you know, changing of stories, the things not adding up, Grant was not budging. Grant stood firm in his innocence. He said, I had nothing to do with this. I don't know what you're talking about. And so the police thought that it would be a lot more helpful if Grant possibly had a familiar face in the room. Maybe he would be more able to open up and confess to what he did if he had a possible family member in the room. And so they took Jason that was at the station at this point. They took Jason out of his interrogation room and brought him into Grant's room and the brothers had reunited immediately as soon as they saw each other they just hugged and he started sobbing and it was at this point where both of them were just crying and crying and that is when Jason was pleading with Grant of like if there's anything you need to say please say it now I need to know did you do this do you know who did this did you have anything to do with this because he said I don't want to find out through a media article or an attorney that you did something like this and you didn't tell me to my face that you did this. Like, I need to hear it from you. Did you do this or not? And Grant just said no. He said, I had nothing to do with this. I don't know what's going on. I'm just as confused as you are. And Jason believed him. 
And so the following day on January 26th of 2019, Grant was released because the police had no evidence. They did a search of the house and they found no out of the ordinary fingerprints left at the house. Since Grant lived at the house, it was, you know, it was expected that they were going to find Grant's fingerprints, but they tried to point his fingerprints into being in weird places or out of the ordinary places, but they couldn't really find any. They also did DNA trying to link him to the crime, possibly DNA under the victim's fingernails, but still no DNA was found, no fingerprints were found, and they really couldn't point Grant to be the criminal in this situation. So Grant was released, but the police did not give up on their angle into accusing Grant. So they go out of their way and they start to question the people around Grant, such as family and friends. And all of them said very similar things. They said that he had stolen money from them due to his obsession with Sylvie. They said that he was obsessed with Sylvie and being on my free cams. He had an online persona that he was trying to fuel. He couldn't go a single day without seeing her or talking to her. They talked to Cody's girlfriend as well and Cody's girlfriend said that Cody had mentioned to her multiple times that Cody was scared that Grant was one day going to kill everyone. So with this, they're not really getting anywhere as far as evidence-wise. They do have a couple of um, testimonies, but that's really it. So they decide to examine the crime scene for a second time. The police noticed that on the door frame of where Cody was lying, he was lying in the doorway of the garage and the room that was next to the garage. I believe it was the kitchen. And they noticed that there was no blood found on the door frame, meaning that when Cody had been shot, the door must have been closed. But when they arrived to the scene, the door was open, meaning someone had to open the door after Cody had already been shot. So there's no way Cody could have shot himself. There had to have been another person. They also determined that Cody's body must have been moved due to the amount of blood at his feet and little to no blood at his head. From the autopsy of Cody, the gunshot wound did not look like a gunshot wound that was direct to the forehead, but at least three feet away. When examining the crime scene of Chad and Chad's body, they note that Chad like Cody, was also possibly moved due to Chad being found with a gunshot to the back of his head, but he was lying on his back. Usually, the pressure of a bullet, especially to the back of your head, would cause you to fly forwards or fling forwards, but in this case, Chad was found with two gunshot wounds both to the back of his head. They also found streaks of blood on the floor as if Chad had been shot once and tried to crawl away to the exit of the kitchen before being shot again. So with this evidence, they felt that they had enough to suspect Grant. So that is when they arrested Grant for three counts of murder. When they arrested Grant, they found Grant with a pair of leather gloves, which saw 
side note, when taking these leather gloves into testing, they found that there was actually gunpowder found on these gloves. Uh, Grant tried to say that these leather gloves were used when he went to the shooting range, although from testimonies of people at the shooting range, they said that Grant rarely ever used leather gloves. He was also found with his father and brother's credit and debit cards, as well as his passport, inferring that Grant was trying to flee, as well as a handwritten note that seemed to be a note that was made by Cody. And the note read, quote, brother, they just told me what happened. Dad told you to pack your stuff and get out of the house because you were caught texting that woman again. Grant, I'll take care of all your problems. I just need you back. I can't live without you, brother. I said I take care of all your problems at the house and I have. No one will bother you again regarding this. Just please come home. I can't do this again. If you think I'm part of the problem here, then I've really lost you and I can't take that loss after everything. There is nothing I can say to change your mind on this. I love you, Otutu. I wish you felt the same. I was going to come after you again, but what's the point? And when Grant was asked about this note, he had claimed that that was a note that Cody had written for him, but after further investigating and comparing Grant's handwriting to the handwriting on this note, they found that this was indeed a note that was written by Grant and not Cody. They felt that possibly Grant had written that note in attempt to fuel the murder-suicide angle. So, however, although Grant was arrested for the three counts of murder, on April April 25th of 2019, Grant was actually given a $750,000 bond after his public defender said the court did not follow proper procedure for this case and the court agreed and allowed Grant to prepare his case with the rule that Grant was not allowed to use any electronics. So then on July 15th of 2019, that is when Grant's trial began and he was still pleading not guilty. His defense team tried to argue angles such as this was a break-in and also when the crime scene was investigated, there was a little bit of weed found in the home and they tried to angle it as like, oh, this wasn't Grant's fault. This was clearly a drug deal gone wrong and like someone in that house was dealing drugs. But with the little evidence that Grant's defense team had, it was very easy to just combat everything that they were saying. But the prosecutors immediately shut down those allegations and they then provided a proper timeline along with the evidence found at the crime scene of what they believe happened that day. They noted that the last activity on Margaret's computer was at 4.44 p.m. on January 24th, so they're assuming that is around the time of when the murders had happened. Grant has shot Margaret with an IWI Jericho 941 semi-automatic handgun. His father, Chad, had come home from work that night at 5.30 p.m. and started to defrost chicken for dinner while unpacking his lunchbox, and that is when Grant had entered into the kitchen and shot his father from the back of the head. Chad fell to the ground but was still living and tried to crawl himself to the exit to which he was shot again and fell to the floor. 
So after further investigating Chad's iPhone, they noticed two major things off of Chad's iPhone. One of those things being is that Chad had a fitness app on his iPhone that tracked his steps and at one point, specifically 5.30 p.m., his steps randomly just stopped altogether and he hadn't walked a single step since. The second part that they found very concerning was they found text messages from Chad going out to Cody right after 5.30, which was allegedly the time of death. These conversations were full conversations between Cody and Chad of Chad telling Cody how he has to come home right after work and he can't go out with his girlfriend because Grant is being way too much. Grant is being kicked out of the house and he's not wanting to leave. And so that is why Cody had told his girlfriend that night that he couldn't hang out with her and he needed to come home. It was believed, however, that these text messages, since they happened after 5.30, were not made from Chad, but were made from Grant as a way to get Cody home that night so Grant could kill him. At 10 p.m., Cody entered the home through the garage and was about to open up the garage door, but it is believed that Grant was hiding somewhere in the garage. Grant pops out, causing Cody to turn around, and that is when Grant shot Cody in the forehead from three feet away. This would also explain why there was no blood found on the door frame, assuming that the door was closed when the incident had happened, and since Grant needed to get back inside of the house, it made sense why the door would be open. Grant then went back inside the house to clean all DNA and all fingerprints as well as hiding evidence and moving bodies to make it look like a murder-suicide as well as writing that fake note and placing bullet casings next to Cody's body as well as the two handguns and moving Cody's body altogether. They also noted that the holster that was found on Chad's right side was not actually there but was put there afterwards due Due to the removing of the holster and them finding blood from underneath the holster. And if he were to be shot with the holster on, there would be no way for blood to get underneath the holster. Um, if anything, it would be like covering that part, but there was blood there, so it's assuming the gun was put there afterwards. They also looked into the bank accounts of the victims and saw that money was transferred from Chad's bank account into Grant's bank account at around 12 a.m. and in order to get into the bank account, it required Grant's fingerprint and this was around 12 a.m. So that means Grant would have had to taken his dad's dead body, basically wipe off his dad's bloody fingerprints and use his fingerprints to go onto his phone and go into his banking app, showing completely no remorse for what he did and purely just a financial motive. And from surveillance footage of a grocery store parking lot, it was shown that around 3 a.m. Grant's car was found parked in the parking lot of that grocery store. So it is believed that after Grant had murdered his entire family, stole money from his dad, and stole his brother's wallet, he drove to a nearby parking lot of a grocery store and watched Sylvie all night whilst giving the money of his dead brother and father. 
There was also a typed eight-page letter found on Grant's computer two days before the murder that he was drafting to send to his friends and Sylvie. And I won't go into all of the eight pages, but I will read you the first page just because it does kind of set a overall tone of what the letter is saying. It says, hey guys, I was thinking of writing to each of you individually, but felt like it might be easier to reach everyone if I just did one message to the main group of guys that I got to know over the months. The purpose of this letter is an apology to you guys. And it says the list of guys' name. Each of you, I forged a different form of friendship, or at the very least, I felt that we were good acquaintances. I think it is safe to say by now that everyone here knows I made a drastic mistake with Sylvie. I upset her, made her very sad, and ruined the end of her December slash beginning of January for her. I won't go into great detail because that is not the purpose of this message, but I lied to her and you guys from the beginning about myself. I'm not a professional gamer, did not own my own house, and did not drive a BMW. The major one here was the gamer. I know that I at least told all of you guys that I was that, and while I did attempt to get into Twitch gaming, it never took off like I had said. I have no excuses as to why I felt the need to do this from the beginning. I can only plead stupidity and I felt intimidated from the onset of the room environment and felt like I had to be something far more unique than I was. While the money I have, the tips I gave, and the way that I was and am are my true personality and way of being. I could never escape the lies I had told from the very beginning because they became a topic of discussion between Sylvie and I, which would spill over into the room like she always does, or it would be brought by someone in the room like, um, and then he lists off other people's names. My whole plan for this was to start anew in January. I would drop the whole gamer persona and simply pursue my actual CRNA job as I had been more and more near the end of that year. So that was the first page and that is basically what it talks about throughout the whole eight pages. He continues to say that he is sorry to all of the people that he had misled. He continues to talk about how he wasn't actually a gamer and how he had lied to Sylvie and he can never forgive himself but he does confess his love for Sylvie and say that she is the one for him and he will do absolutely anything to get a second chance with Sylvie and he is so sorry and he knows that he had betrayed her trust and even goes on to say quote I can't give up on her and I never will and this was written two days before the murder thus making this murder premeditated on August 9th of 2019 that is when six people had testified three of them were for Grant and believed Grant was innocent and was trying to vow for his innocence, while the other three people that testified were the ones that were against him and felt that he did commit the crime, and one of those three people was Jason, his brother. Even while Jason was on the stand and crying that his whole family was dead, just gone, Grant showed absolutely no emotion. He just sat there with no remorse, no sorriness, no reaction, and you can really tell, and it's really, really sad to watch the trials of how broken Jason looks. He looks extremely traumatized and broken and lost, and it's it's really, really sad to watch all of that, and just to watch Grant sit there with no 
emotion or no tears is very scary as well to watch. On August 12th, the jury came to a verdict and Grant Amato was found guilty of all three counts of murder and was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. They were at first going to give him the death penalty until 12 jurors disagreed on the death penalty, so that's when they settled for just life in prison with no parole. Afterwards, when Grant was asked if he had any remorse for what he did, all he said was, quote, My family has been blaming me for months for ruining their lives, stealing, and not following the rules of the home, so I might as well be blamed for this too. Oh, I mean, I think we're all thinking the same thing right now of, oh my god, this man is disgusting, he's terrible, and he deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life. How is he still asking for pity after everything he's done? As far as the aftermath of it all, Grant still, even to this day, in prison, Grant goes on to talk about how much he misses Sylvie and how he thinks about her every single day and he cannot continue without her. And even in prison, he asks someone, um, I think it was like a representative for money so that he could be able to get internet access and it wasn't specified what he was going to use that internet access for, but it is assuming that he most definitely would have use that money to watch Sylvie. And so following up with Sylvie, you're probably wondering, what happened to Sylvie? Was she made aware of all of this? Did she testify what happened? Um, yes. With Sylvie specifically, she tended to be a very private person during this. She was made aware of the situation. She was taken for questioning. Remember how I was saying earlier that there was three people that testified against Grant and thought that he did commit the crime? There was Jason, but then there was two other people, but their names were blacked out, and it is assuming that one of those blacked out pieces was Sylvia. Um, they assume, a lot of people assume, assume that Sylvia did go up on the stand. I mean, why wouldn't she? She's one of the biggest people in this case. She is the person that Grant did all of this for, so it would make sense that she went on the stand and would talk about all of this and would talk about her experiences with him. So where is Sylvie now, you may be wondering. As far as October of 2022, she still goes on MyFreeCams.com, but she no longer goes by the name of Sylvie, but she now goes by another name. She has done a complete rebrand on herself, and according to a Twitter account that I found of hers, she goes by a different screen name, but she still works on MyFreeCams.com, as well as going on OF. She still continues to do the same work that she does now and out of respect for Sylvie, I'm not going to say what she goes by now. I'm not going to give out her personal Twitter or anything just because 
There are a lot of skeptical people. Some people believe that Sylvia was in on it. Some people believe that maybe Sylvia was taunting him and taunting Grant to give more money and to spend more money. But in my opinion, from what it looks like, Sylvia, if she was, you know, pushing Grant to give her more money, I don't think she was aware that this was stolen money. I don't think Grant would have just told her, oh, by the way, this money that I'm giving you is not my money. It's my parents' money. I think she was just completely under the impression, same as everyone else, that this was his money and he was a professional gamer and he was rich and he had all this money to spend. So I don't think she had a lot to do with it, um, although a lot of people beg to differ, but out of respect for her because this is a very traumatizing experience and I don't doubt that there are a lot of sick people out there that send her crime scene photos because the crime scene photos are very public. You can literally go on Reddit and see all of the very graphic photos and so I don't doubt that people will send those to her out of, you know, a joke or something and so I just don't want any of that for her. I don't want to influence any of that behavior for her so out of respect for her, I'm not going to say her name or what she goes by now. Just know that as of now, 2022, she's still pursuing the same career. And that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe. If you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify or Apple, make sure to rate it five stars because it really does help me out a lot. This case was very heavy, obviously. It was, it, it was a lot, mostly because when you hear, like, Margaret or Chad or Cody and what amazing people they were, it really just does hit you a lot harder when you realize or when you learn about how they passed away. And Margaret and Chad just seemed like such amazing people. Margaret was just, had such a big heart and it seemed like Cody also had that same big heart. They both had a soft side and it was they were just gone in such a ruthless and terrible, terrible way. And they just seemed like such amazing people. They seemed like people that truly loved Grant and wanted to give him second chances, but also just wanted to give him the help that he needed because he truly did need lots of help and they tried to give that help to him, but unfortunately that did not go as planned. And and all I hope is just peace for everyone involved, everyone that survived, and that's all you could really do. It's just, it's really hard to learn about the backstories of these victims and then hearing how they passed away. It's just, it's a very heavy case, um, but that is indeed the end of today's case. Make sure to be safe out there, make good choices, go outside today. If the sun is shining, go outside. If the if the sun isn't shining and it's raining, you know, open up your window, hear the little rain patter, enjoy a good book, read a good book today, um, tell someone you love them today, you know, even if that person is yourself. Tell someone you love them today, take care of yourself overall, and I will see you guys next week week.